everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of Petability. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Swimming, swimming, what do you do? You just keep swimming. Kathy? Kathy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is that you? Or is it Dory on the other end of this line? Uh, I have channeled my inner Dory today, Chris. Um, and here's why. Because I'm very excited about today's topic. We're going to talk about hydrotherapy. <laughs> hydrotherapy. Well, that's very appropriate then, isn't it? Yes, yes. right? Um, also known, you know, for our listeners, also you may have heard hydrotherapy discussed as swim therapy or aqua therapy, um, but mm. all of that's going to, we're going to talk about all of that today. We're going to talk about swimming versus the use of underwater treadmill, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk a little bit about swimming at home for exercise. So what do you think about that? Awesome. Very appropriate and necessary. We need to get right. this information out there. Right. <laughs> so I remember back in the day uh, when, when we were starting out with uh, our certifications in canine rehabilitation and hydrotherapy was very much the gold standard, right? I mean, we talked right. a lot about the benefits of, of using an underwater treadmill and or water therapy in general to do our work. And I love it. I love it. And I, and I'd say the early part of my career was mainly using an underwater treadmill. And then the latter part of my career, I used a pool. So I've had extensive experience with both, but I also think it's important to emphasize that, that the water therapy, the hydrotherapy is one tool that we use as physical rehabilitationists, right? It's a great tool. And that's one aspect of rehabilitation. Yes. Yes. And that's why we're going to talk about it because it's so great. But, you know, for those of you who may not have access to an aqua therapy center for dogs or, or pets, animals, uh, don't fret, you know, because there's many, many other things that, that can be done. But, uh, yeah, so, so 
one of the, the main things that I think we, we see the value in using the water is that there are just so many things that can be done in the water with pets that simply can't be done on land right. uh, due to the unique properties of water. Yeah. You know, it's either more efficient or it's easier or, you know, whatever. Uh, however, we may utilize this tool to, as a means to an end. So, Chris, why don't we start by talking about the unique properties of water and how it's, how it's beneficial mm. uh, to our patients? Yes, because water is very, very different than exercising in air. And one of the first things that I think about is buoyancy, right? So right. floating in water and mm -hmm. feeling relatively weightless. Yeah, if you've ever slipped into the pool um, and floated on your back, you know how good it feels to just sort of float and be weightless. Mm -hmm. it's buoyancy. Mm -hmm. Very, very relaxing. And uh, even when we're standing in water, and I think this is one of the benefits to to the pets that we work with and have as our own companions. If you're standing hip deep in water, this is a dog, for example, they are unweighted by 60%. Significant. That's significant. Yes. So that means that they have 38% is the actual number that they've proven in studies. 38% of their weight is on their limbs. So if it's a hundred pound dog, all of a sudden it's only 38 pounds in the water. So imagine, yeah, isn't that cool? So if you're rehabilitating a, a foot, an ankle, a knee, you don't have that impact, that pounding, right? And that, that water just comes right up from underneath and just like holds you up. It just comes right up from underneath and the forces sort of push you up. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and, and oh my God. So if you're at the let me ask you this. So if you're at the pool, right, mm -hmm. and you start in the shallow end and you start walking towards the deeper end, as a human physical therapist, can you say, can people feel that as you start to become more weightless and more buoyant as you walk from the shallow Absolutely. end to the end? Absolutely. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when you're, you're barely in, I mean, you pretty much feel normal. Like, okay, right. that's, yeah. that's me and how I normally feel. But by the time you get up to like waist height, you know, you're, you're feeling a lot of that levity, if you will, and then it just, you know, progresses from, from there. But mm -hmm. it's interesting that you bring up walking from the shallow into the deep end because you're also feeling resistance, a drag effect, right? right? right. So right. If, if you try to, I think this is just fascinating. If you try to move your hand as fast as you can underwater, it moves 799 times slower <laughs> in the water than it does uh, through the air. That is amazing. That is amazing. And this is where we're going to use this resistance. This is one of the properties of water that we're going to use for that strengthening, right? Because of that resistance, because of that drag. I don't know why anybody would want to use, move their hand that slowly, <laughs> but you can see where that would be helpful and beneficial to patients when they're recovering from something like knee surgery or, Absolutely. You, know, you know, hip stuff or something like that. So yeah, slowing everything down gives the body more time to react and that, that brain body messaging to occur, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, helps with balance and things too. You know, you're not, you're not as readily falling in the water because that water is holding you up due to that, that resistance. And it's right. really something between the molecules of the water called coefficient of friction with that adhesion um, that creates that resistance or feeling of drag. Mm -hmm. 
So, and then and also, I, go ahead. I mean, that, if you think it makes me think of also, that makes me lead to like the hydrostatic pressure of the water and how right. the water is, is sort of having this uh, equal pressure on all sides of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that, it, or, or like I, I like to call it the squeeze. It's the squeeze. Very gentle, <laughs> though. Very gentle. Yeah. But so if you have swelling down below, right? You know, which we call dependent swelling. So with gravity, our swelling tends to, to go down. And then if you have the limbs in the water, that, that pressure of the water then pushes that edema or that swelling back north so your body can process it and get rid of it. Yep. Yep. Um, and it also there's benefits to just to exercising in warm water. So the temperature of the water is important as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, having that warm, warm water, first of all, is soothing and relaxing. I love to slip into a nice hot, like jacuzzi or hot tub. It's, I know it's lost on some people. Some people don't care for it. I love it. It feels so good. It just gets, you know, your body uh, soothes your body. It relaxes those muscles. If you have pain or spasms, those are just released, you know, by that nice feeling of the warm water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that warmth also improves blood flow, makes the tissues more supple and easier to stretch and lengthen. So things get to, you know, just improve in terms of flexibility and joint movement with that warm water. Getting oxygen, oxygen, yeah. Oxygen, oxygen's always good. Yep, yep. yep. But, you know, we're talking about warm water, but I also think that people need to realize um, what happens in cold water too. So Mm. generally our animals are pretty well adapted. You know, you think about like the Labradors and Newfoundlands and things like that. I mean, they're circumventing ice flows to do their jobs, you know, and up in Canada and Nova Scotia and such. Uh, But it really requires uh, a lot more energy expenditure to maintain body temperature in cold water. So, you know, from our perspective as rehabilitationists, when we're talking about using water for therapy, we definitely want to do it in a a warmer environment. Uh, We don't want to waste, you know, all that energy just keeping the body warm. We want it to be able to go to the muscles um, to get stronger and things like that. Yeah, and you would very, I would very rarely, um, you know, you would very rarely see us using or anyone probably using cold water uh, therapy on on animals. Although I think they do it quite a bit. In, I mean, I see the athletes on television; they're always right. in the ice bath. They're always, in, <laughs> I don't know why they're always soaking in an ice bath, Chris. I don't know what they're doing, but you know, you, you would you could use cold uh, packs on animals. We I don't typically use cold baths or pull, you know, that kind of cold water, but. Um, but hot water is the, is the therapeutic. And, uh, well, and not hot. I want to say that sorry. too. Yes. Yeah, it's warm. Because you, yeah. you mentioned like the jacuzzi um, or, or That's too hot. Too hot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for people when, when uh, those therapeutic temperatures are generally up around like 102 to 110, mm-hmm. um, depending. And, you know, they always have those signs posted, right? Like if you are pregnant or have heart issues. Don't stay in this more than 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> or go in it at all. Um, but for our pets, uh, generally, I think we're we're somewhere in like the eighty to ninety four degrees. Yeah. Um, I know I always had a little bit of a, a dilemma with the pool that I used because I had some athletes that came in and they were swimming hard. So having like an eighty five degree pool, they would still be panting and and working so hard and getting warm. I mean, I'd feel yeah. their ears and you know, and they were getting warm. Um, but then. I had very old dogs or very immobile dogs that could really uh, benefit from the warm water. And so if I had my druthers, I'd like it to be more in that like 92 range. So, you know, we generally kept it around 88, 90 degrees 
get the best best of both worlds, but that uh, that can be a challenge sometimes to to find that perfect temperature and to get that perfect balance. For, yeah, we can't mm-hmm. quite get that perfect balance for every single patient, you know. But um, usually we're in the eighty five to like ninety two at our practice. I think it's important to to um, to to let people know about how we should properly introduce dogs to water, right? Mm. Not, not all dogs are natural swimmers, right? They have the ability to swim. They can be taught to swim, but not all dogs are natural swimmers. And so I think the thing, you know, I'm always, I'm always the person you're going to hear in the interviews that are always going to be like, what about our dog's emotional lives? What about our dog's feelings? But that's mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm worried about. It. I don't want it to be a traumatic experience. I want a proper introduction for a couple of reasons. I don't want to introduce fear into the program and I don't want to introduce their dog to um, something that's fearful and will continue to be fearful. I don't want that to happen, but also safety um, is, is paramount. I want to make sure I can get your dog in and out of the water safely without getting injured. Um, and, and um, I, you know, overall I love to be, have it to be a pleasant experience, but mostly I just, I don't want it to be a fearful experience. Yes, yes. And I've had many times over my career where uh, it's a breed that you would think would be a, quote, natural swimmer, but they've had something that's happened um, that has made them not be. Um, And again, it's that anxiety uh, that, that tends to be the limiting factor. And Oftentimes upon probing, either the the current owner doesn't know the dog's history, you know, maybe they didn't know what happened back in the day, or I've had people fully admit, oh yeah, when I got them, you know, they're like three months old and it was June and we were at my buddy's (laughs) lake house, you know, up in New Hampshire and and I just, you know, yeah, we went to the end of the dock, I just tossed them in and and oh, it was so funny. (laughs) It's not funny. It's not funny. Not funny. It's not funny. We don't want it to be, we don't want it to be a traumatic experience. And and I think they're just some, like I had one dog oh god I love this dog Chris it was what he was a the sweetest golden retriever and like the true golden retriever the I love you no matter what Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love you too much I love you too much um you'd put him in the water right and um he would just let you uh float him around he was not going to move those he didn't I think overall he wasn't frightened of it he just wouldn't (laughs) he just wouldn't do it he enjoyed the the float and I would say, channel your inner gold and your inner gold and, you know, swim. But um, maybe he just enjoyed floating around. <clears throat> and, and I think and maybe he didn't know how to swim or maybe he just didn't enjoy swimming. It didn't seem to be fearful for him. But maybe there are just dogs that simply don't understand uh, how to swim, even though you're a golden retriever. I mean, I had a pug, my first pug. He loved to swim, mm. loved it. And yeah. he was good at it, too. He was really right. good at it. Right. He taught him um, how to do it, you know. And, and there certainly are breed dispositions, but, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, it can go either way. You can have yeah. a, a presumed breed that, that is very uh, much a water, a hydrophil, if you A say. hydrophil. <laughs> a hydrophil. And then you have breeds that you would think would be hydrophobic. And so oftentimes people have asked me, you know, what, what about some of those, you know, what, can a chihuahua swim? Can a, can a bulldog swim? Can a greyhound swim? And certainly those breeds are not, um, as you said, the natural swimmers. And it has to do with their conformation and their body styles, mm-hmm. as well as what they were bred to do. But, you know, a lot of the bully breeds are very, uh, Top heavy. heavy. Yeah, top yeah. heavy. As I say, heavy in the front. And and so, you know, finding that equilibrium in the water is is tough. And so I would mm-hmm. always, you know, think about putting a life vest on a dog like that. Yeah. Um, the greyhounds uh, tend to, you know, especially if they've just come off the track or 
or what have you, they are, have no body fat, and yeah. the body fat really helps with the buoyancy. So that's mm -hmm. why a lot of your breeds, like your labs and things, have a big, thick uh, layer of blubber under their fur because it right. does help keep them warm as well as as keep them buoyant. So and their feet are different too, Chris. I mean, if you look at the foot of the greyhound, they've got that hair foot. They're not mm -hmm. really designed for swimming. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at the foot of the lab, you're going to see it's like a paddle. <laughs> yeah, they're completely <laughs> webbed way down to web, right? the, so the toenail. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Chris, um, before we go on with swimming, I have a little quiz for you. Ooh. Yes. yes. And I'm, I love, I'm, 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 I'm very competitive. I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta, okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. All right. This segment is called Sink or Swim, Chris. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm okay. going to give you a couple of animals. Yes. And you tell me whether they can swim or not swim. Okay, okay. Okay. All right, it's going to get tricky. It's going to get tricky. Okay. And and okay. we encourage we encourage you listeners to play we along. We encourage everyone with me. to yes. play along. Now, okay. Are you going to give me the answer like immediately after you ask or are you going to wait till the end? No, I'll give you the I'll give it to you right away. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. That's the question. First one, I'm going to give you a hint. This one's a trick question. Can a hippo swim or not swim? You said it's a trick question. Yeah, so I, I would definitely think yes, they can swim because they're in in water. By uh, that's where they live. Uh, mm, but since you said it's a trick question, I'm going to say no. They cannot swim. <laughs> is that your final answer? My final answer is no. <laughs> okay, the answer actually is you're right. They do live in the water, uh, but because of their density and how big they are, how thick they are, they actually are not swimmers. They run, walk, or gallop on the bottom of the water, on the ground. Wow. The water, right? Right. Wow. Gallop. Okay. Well, they, run. well for, a hip, for a hippo. I mean, for a hippo. That's crazy, okay. though. All right. I'll give you, let me give you another one. Okay. okay. Sink, like or swim. Sink or swim, yep. Chris. Yep. The tiger. Can the tiger swim? Oh, definitely swim. swim. Definitely swims. They are efficient swimmers. And yes. if you think about it and you look at their body and the way their body is designed, they're athletes, you know, as opposed to the hippo who's really dense, right? That, that tiger can, can really has a good swimming body, right? right. So going back, power, back power. to body types, like the tigers, like exactly. the Michael Phelps of, exactly. of the cat world. And I've had many a uh, pet owner asked me, you know, well, you can't swim cats, can you? Yes. You can. Yes. You can. I, and I have. And we'll uh, talk me about too. It. <laughs> me too. And and I say, well, think about it. How do those those tigers and the big cats traverse the the rivers and streams in Kenya? You right. know, they, they right. have to get from point A to point B, so they have to be able to swim. That was, right. Uh -huh. So that's a good it's a good um, sort of you know going back circling back to that body type. You know, the hippo's not an efficient swimmer; he has to walk on the bottom, and that cat has got that body type like for swimming. Bowling ball, like a bowling ball, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> You got I'm one just more? picturing. Sorry, I'm just picturing the bowling ball. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. With I the got nostrils. The the hippos always had their little nostrils sticking up above the surface. Oh, they're so That's cute, they aren't they? Yeah. They're so cute. Okay, but their bodies right. are submerged. So, okay, ready? Sink yeah. or swim, the giraffe. I'm gonna say sink. The giraffe is not a good swimmer. Again, body type, right? Because they are very dense, they're very tall, and coordinating their body with their hooves and that giant neck is difficult for them. Mm. So they are not, they, although they can float, you know, they're not efficient swimmers. 
I would think like, I'm picturing the giraffe, it'd almost be like a sailboat with a big mast, right? <laughs> the, you have the, the little, the little uh, legs are not an, an effective ballast. I think that's what that's called. I would and then money to see a giraffe swim. And then, yes, and then it starts to tip with its big neck and it just like goes over like a, goes like over. a sailboat. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last one. Last one. Yeah. I think I'm three for three. Three for yeah, three. Three for three. Okay. Last one. Sink or swim. Bunnies. Bunny rabbits. I'm going to say they can swim. Bunnies can swim. They can ah, swim. They can swim. Four. Can you imagine how, imagine how cute the crowd goes wild? Can you imagine how cute that would be? <laughs> yes. Very cute. Very cute. Anyway, anyway, back to the topics. Um, but I think that, that was, was a, so fun. The, a little game to see, you know, what the different body types and whether they swim or not swim and how they swim or float or, right, or not, right. or not on the, or on the bottom like a bowling ball. So anyway, yeah. I digress. <laughs> no, that was, that was awesome. I like that a lot. So talking about swimming, we've already mentioned a little bit about the weightlessness. um, Mm -hmm. And of course, when you're swimming, you should not be touching bottom, right? Right. Unless you're a hippo. Yeah. Unless you're a hippo. But that's not really swimming. That's (laughs) That's walking. And, uh, and so again, you have that complete freedom of movement, especially if it's warm water, you know, it's, it's amazing. Do you remember that, um, it went viral a few years ago of that man who would take his old dog and just float it in the lake and it, it just like, yeah, millions and millions of views. Yes. And he did that for like a long time and, and dog was old. Yeah. Yeah. I think it had really profound arthritis and he just, he himself, I think, discovered innately uh, why water can be so therapeutic. You know, right. I don't think anybody yeah. told him to do that. He just, he just did it. But anyway, I always get that image in my, in my mind um, when I think about being weightless and, and relaxing in the water. So if we, if we go back to talking about the introduction to uh, water, what would be your advice for people that are trying to get their dogs to learn how to swim without fear? You know, what, what would we tell them about it? What would you say about introduction? Oh, well, as we've said, don't just throw them in. I think it needs to be a very positive step-by-step, you know, so you're rewarding, whether it's praise, treats, Mm -hmm. and, and allow them to get out again, you know, show them, always show them where the exit is, um, yep. you know, if it's a pool or a lake, you know, how to get to the beach and things like that. I also think that if you're, if you're introducing your own pet to swim, um, that using a life vest, cause it gives you something to hang on to and you yeah. have that safety measure and you can attach a leash to it. So, you know, sometimes it's like careful what you wish for and you get the dog out <laughs> into the water and they see a duck, uh, over there and they just start swimming, 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 as you said earlier <laughs> toward that duck. And they, you know, they may not come back. So, you know, making sure that you have good recall and and things like that. But, um, you know, I learned very early on uh, to keep pets at arm's length in Mm. in this case, because they will, if there is some anxiety or fear, they will seek you out and try to climb on you and And grab on you, pull you down, (laughs) and pull you down and pull you under. And um, it, it can be a scary thing. I mean, they're pretty mm-hmm. strong when they're yep. scared and, you know, wrapping. And, and then I was early in my career, I was just covered with bruises and scratches from, from that. So, um, you know, it's not as easy and, you know, it's not just going to be calming uh, initially as you may, may think. And I would also mm-hmm. tell people my, my pool at my clinic was, um, 
in the middle of the room. So the, the pet owner could walk around the pool and the dog, you know, could get to them at, at any point. But I would always coach them not to reach in for the pet because mm-hmm. in the pet's mind, if you're reaching into them mm-hmm. at that place, they think that's where they can get out. That's the exit. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah. so always, you know, putting them in at the ladder, the stairs, the bench, whatever it is, um, and then exiting in that same place. So you're also teaching them, this is where it's safe to get in and out. This is where you can help yourself. And there's Mm -hmm. such things as floating ramps and things like that too, because if a small dog gets in a pool, uh, well, any dog for that matter, and they don't know how to get out, that could be a a real disaster. Well, a real disaster. They could drown. I think think about, you know, what I usually tell clients too, whose dogs swim in, you know, the lake or the pond or whatever, is that this is a little bit of a different situation that it has parameters, right? You have to swim within the parameters of the pool. It's not like being out in the, not quite like being out in the lake. So we got to kind of get the, not only do we have to make it a positive association, we kind of got to get the feel and the layout for the parameters of the pool. You're right. Where you get in, where you get out and not to jump over the side and that you're contained. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, like we talked about making it a positive experience, you know, again, that association, I'll get some treats out at the pool as well, you know, something really high value. So if once we get you in, sometimes I just stand there, just get mm-hmm. treats. We're oh, standing yeah. treats, slow, slow, standing slow. treats, yep. standing treats, right? Um, and then we'll gradually start getting to see if we can get you out into the water a little right, bit. Right. Um, that, that first initial getting out into the water, that first is, is it's important. It's important to make it as positive as you can. And short. And don't bring short, them out. Right? Yeah, don't bring them out there and then hold them in place where they yeah. feel like, you know, they're imprisoned in this place right. where they can't, you they know, can't touch. Get. And so, yeah, I might just very gently glide them ever so slowly off the surface that they're standing on. And they do a few little paddles and then back on and then treat, back treat, over. treat. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and think about like the, the, uh, toys too, being such a powerful yep. reinforcer. So like your all your retrievers, right? So the balls right. and the wubbas and the frisbees and things like that. And I I tell people that whose dogs may be precluded from playing fetch on land for whatever reason, because maybe they've had a chronic injury or something like that, and it's not safe to do so. This is the place that you can bring that out because yeah. it is safe. You know, we yeah. talked about it being the movement being so much more controlled and yeah. slower in the water. So yeah. So I think yeah, we talked awesome. a lot about some of the good pro, uh, pros of swimming, you know, and um, I think we should touch a little bit on, you know, are there some, are there some cons? But you know, one of the, the things I love about uh, swimming or or using the pool in general is for some of my patients, I can start them doing stuff in the water that I can't start them doing on land, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe my patient comes out uh, after surgery, after disc herniation, and they're not quite walking, um, and they're not stable enough to hold themselves up, but I can get them floating in the pool and I can get them moving their limbs in the pool and I can do the range of motion while I'm in the pool. So sometimes just getting them in the pool allows me to do so much more for some of these patients who can't do stuff on the land. Uh, but it makes me think, you know, are, what are the cons? You know, can we cover some of the things that maybe you shouldn't be swimming your dog? You know, uh, open wounds, I guess, you know, certainly unstable fractures, um, Dogs that have laryngeal paralysis, I'm always very cautious about swimming those dogs, right? I don't want them to overheat. I don't want them to aspirate. It, you know, it can be done. I don't know if I would put it in the con column, but I would say to, you know, proceed very cautiously with yes. that. Um, yeah. So there's, you know, just like anything else, there are good things to water. Um, and then there are some things that are not appropriate for water, right? Right, right. And as we've always said in every segment of our, our shows, you know, it, 
seek the advice of your veterinarian to start yeah, first, you know right. is it yep. safe for my dog to do this you know yep. again skin conditions yep. uh ear infections eye issues yep. <laughs> um you know there's a lot of things that you know uh i remember something again a, a long time ago uh, a dog had like a, a scratch cornea and i wouldn't have thought that they couldn't swim but they couldn't because again if that water which is laden yeah. with bacteria, no matter how hard we try, gets in there. You know, it's like your skin yeah. and that covering on the eyeball is a protective right. uh, layer. And so when that's breached, that would preclude, you know, the dog from, from enjoying swimming. Can I tell you too that my, you know, my first dog that went blind, Buddha, he continued to love to swim even after he went blind. It was, he loved it. I mean, we, we had to put the swim goggles on, you know, the, <laughs> who protect his eyes. That's awesome. blink. But he still loved it. He still loved it. So it felt good, right? Yeah. It felt good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I want to say here too, just in, back to the benefits of swimming, um, mm -hmm. you get so much bang for your buck. Right. right. So I, I'm a, I love statistics. So I'm just going to, going to throw some out there. A 15 minute continuous swim is equivalent to your dog walking roughly three miles. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, the, in terms of like the cardiovascular load, mm -hmm. the heart rate increases 20 to 50 beats per minute with swimming exercise and one of the things that i would do knowing that and if the dog had been deconditioned for whatever reason i would put them in a life vest because i didn't want them to run out of steam from a cardiovascular right. point of view right. when i wanted them exercising their legs right they're recovering yeah. from from knee yeah. surgery you know and if they could only you know be in the water for two minutes then you know we weren't getting many kicks in that time so um you know i would use the life vest to prevent them from from tiring and then just thinking about when you're when you are in water you're actually swimming and buoyant and not touching the bottom in humans a study showed that this total body exercise uh, costs four times the amount of energy than running the same distance mm. so if you were to you know run all out and sprint a hundred yards or swim a hundred yards the energy cost is four times greater wow with swimming right wow. so you know, not only is there so much benefit to the musculoskeletal system in terms of, you know, we talked about taking away impact and things like that with the buoyancy, but how much more work it is with mm -hmm. that resistance and drag effect and not just muscles, but yeah. the whole body, deep breathing, heart yep. rate, calorie Everything, expenditure. You know, or yeah. metabolism, right? Yeah. Metabolism. metabolism. And, and so that actually makes... I mean, although it would have to be controlled, it's probably, you know, really good exercise for dogs for, for part of their weight loss program, yeah, you know, for the weight loss program because right. of the increase in the metabolism, you know. And, and if, when they are morbidly obese, which is sad, you know, that we do have a lot of really overweight dogs in America, it's true, um, but it's not healthy for them to go out and walk because their joints can't support right. that, that amount that of, yeah. The skeletal frame, the skeletal frame just can't take that weight, right? Yeah. Um, and then by swimming, we're just, we're taking all that off the frame. Mm -hmm. That excessive pressure is taken off the body. So, yeah. but the other, the other thing that we have to talk about is it's fun, right? Swimming is fun. Who doesn't like swimming? Swimming is fun, right? 
swimming is but you're in water <laughs> number fun. one number one fun. number but one benefit fun it, it's stress relieving right but it also helps to expend any uh you know dogs that have pent-up energy mm. so maybe your dog can't you know maybe we can't do certain movements but going swimming is going to help you know release some of that pent-up energy for these dogs so number one answer it's fun yeah. I also want to remind people, you know, we have to kind of think about our dogs like, like kids. And so two things come to mind. One, I think essentially every dog should learn to, to swim at some yeah. point because you Safety. never know when an accident's going to happen. And I remember this little whippet named Greta Garbo, who her owner, you know, had her out, you know, in the woods or something. And she, you know, slid down this cliff and the owner looked over the edge and she's literally she could see her standing on the bottom and the bubbles are just coming up oh and that's, terrifying. <laughs> she, that's terrifying she had no fight or flight response she was just like catatonic and, and she, she lived I mean, yeah, yeah she yeah. was she was fine but you know for that reason you just never know what's going to happen mm -hmm. and then the other thing that we have to be aware of is is that conditioning because it is so much harder. So remember when you were a kid and, and you could do, you know, go all the way across the, the town pool without stopping and it was yeah. no big deal. And yeah. then next spring comes and you, and you go to the town pool when it opens and you jump in and you try to swim across the pool. I got, and yeah. I got my new onesie. I got my new onesie on and I'm like, yeah, pick up where I left off. <laughs> right. And you make it about a quarter of the way and you're like sucking wind and swallowing water. And, you know, so we have to, you know, be aware of that for our pets too and yes yes of, yeah yeah and that's again where the therapist is going to come in and your veterinarian is going to come in to make sure that you get the right program for for swimming your dog and using uh, the uses of properties of water um chris do you want to talk a little bit about uh, underwater treadmill because it, how it, it differs in in, the, in swimming mm -hmm. and we use it for different for different things for different conditions you want to talk a little bit about that right so for those of you who don't know an underwater treadmill is basically a treadmill that is enclosed in a watertight box so the pet and or handler um, go into to said underwater treadmill it doors locked and it's sealed and you push a button and the water comes in from underneath so it can be filled to any level so again if you were trying to um, only take a little weight off the dog you might only fill it up to their ankles or wrists uh, a little bit more weight maybe elbows knees and you know even more weight you know way up to their their hips um, and you you push a button or turn a dial depending on the brand and the treadmill starts moving very very slowly under the pet's feet and it's so slow it's it's typically slower than any treadmill on land would be um so it might start at like 0 0.1 0 0.2 0 0.3 miles per mm -hmm. hour and so again the pet can can keep up with it their feet are always on the ground so it doesn't produce that anxiety in terms of suddenly they they can't touch bottom anymore yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> where's the bottom <laughs> right and and it starts so slowly that it's it's really pretty um seamless uh, most of right. the time there was there were very few uh, pets that I couldn't get to do right. what I wanted them to do in the in the underwater treadmill, which was basically I, walking. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, again, we talk about taking the fear out of things. So when the dog enters the treadmill, there's no water in it. You know, you get in mm -hmm. there with them and the water comes up slowly underneath them. And um, again, I try to make it a positive experience. I tell owners, listen, if you, if you believe that this is okay, um, your dog is also going to believe that this is okay. So you've got to maintain your, you know, composure there at the treadmill and treats, you know, because maybe it seems scary at first because that water's coming in and rising up. But if we're getting treats 
and um, the owner is staying positive and we're staying calm, that calmness is it's going to translate, right? Um, and, and oftentimes owners express their concern about how their dogs are going to handle this new strange like situation. But in all the time I've been a rehabber, you know, and it's been a long time, <laughs> you know, um, I've only ever had two dogs that couldn't do it. And one of them was a little Pomeranian who just ran in circles and she was, so that we, we just made that into her exercise, you know, running in circles. <laughs> and then I had a dog that was about 170, 75 pounds and she would just get to the treadmill and then lay down in front of it. And there was just nothing I could do. Right. Oh, right. You're not <laughs> she lifting her in. Again, lifting her in. But, um, that's, it's pretty much it for the most part. I can get any dog to do it. And it seems like it would be, might be scary or, or daunting, but it, it doesn't have to be again. It doesn't have to be, it just has to be addressed in a very, in a positive way. And I love the underwater treadmill. This is my most favorite piece of equipment in the, in rehab because I, it just gives me so many options for treatment of so many variety of ailments, right? Yes. Post-surgery, neurologic, osteoarthritis, uh, you know, st- overweight dogs, fracture repairs. Exactly. It just gives me so many options for, for helping these animals in their therapy plan. So it's one of my favorite pieces of equipment. <laughs> and sometimes I'll use it at lunchtime, just, you know, mm-hmm. tone up my, tone up with eyes. But um, again, but again, it just needs to be done in a way that's positive and, and, and alleviates the fear. And these dogs can do it. Yep. And, and to your point with that, it's usually there's, it's either all open and they can see out or at least there's a peep hole. So it's not like, you know, they shouldn't get too claustrophobic or anything because the top is open and they can see out. And if it's possible, I would try to position the owners in, in their side of their line of sight, I should say, so that the pet feels like it's walking, you know, towards its person, the person can give them treats, they can hold a toy, squeak a toy, you know, whatever. And just like the swimming, maybe that first time in the underwater treadmill, you're just getting them in, filling up the water, bringing the water down, and they get out. We're done. Yep. Yep. And uh, so you can never go too slowly. The the whole point is just to to make it as stress-free as possible. And sometimes, uh, you know, if I have dogs that are really frightened on their therapy, we'll just get in and out, you know, and get treats and get in and out and get in and out. And then the next time we close the door, you know, and then the next time we raise raise the water. And so you might be asking yourself, ugh, is all this effort, you know, is it really worth it here? Uh, Yeah, it it is because (laughs) the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Um, the underwater treadmill allows this, you know, the animal to exercise in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. And this is going to lessen the likelihood uh, that injuries are going to occur, right? Um, and that we, allows us for targeted therapy also, right? I can walk your dog forward. I can walk your dog backward. I can walk your dog uphill. I can walk your dog downhill. So it allows me to target, you know, tissues, target therapy. Um, All the so while yeah, having think- resistance for the muscles Boy, and... And decreased impact for the joints. So mm-hmm. it's a win-win. You're taking stress win-win. off the joints and the skeletal system while at the same time you are increasing the, the strength in the muscles. Right. And, and, the, and the best part is, for me as a therapist, is I, can, I control how fast I control the speed. Mm-hmm. I control the duration. I control um, which way your dog walks. So I really have a lot of control <laughs> for what's happening here. Right. How fast does your dog walk? How long does your dog walk? Um, do they walk, you know, uphill? So that gives me a lot of control as well, you know, just. And progression. So, you know, right. I mentioned at the beginning that it starts really slowly, but you and I both had dogs that are trotting and yes. running in the, in the underwater right water treadmill, you know, that's, that's a lot of work. I remember I had a Husky, um, 
I really think she was a wolf cross, but <laughs> called her a husky. Um, and uh, uh, she she would come in, you know, for exercise and fitness, and you know, run in that tread or trot in it, you know, once a week. And you increase the time, and then, like you said, you can you know gradually bring it uphill and make it harder that way. So there are many variables that can be changed to make it harder or easier and accommodate mm -hmm. what's going on, you know, so right. you have to think about other things like the age of the animal. Are there other conditions versus the one that you may be rehabbing? Um, you know, just so many things that, that can change over time. And it allows us to customize workouts. Basically it allows mm -hmm. us to customize workouts based on size, shape, age, endurance, disease, condition, but also tailor it to the dog's emotional threshold. Like how come, how much can the dog take, how much can the dog take emotionally? You know, is 10 minutes too much for him? Is he going to shut down after 10 minutes? But I, it, it gives me all that control over all mm -hmm. these factors. All right. And trying to learn that and stop the exercise before that shutdown happens. Before you know, that happens. We, exactly. we always, we always want to, like I said, make it positive. And I just think that's something that the pet owners out there need to try to appreciate in their pets too. You know, don't go out there with a preconceived notion that yeah. we're going to swim for 20 minutes today. I mean, maybe something's going on that they can't tell you about. And you know, 10 minutes you right. recognize eh, they're just not going yeah. out for that stick like yeah. they used to, you know? So right. I also yeah, and I wonder, wanna, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I also want to mention that I, I love the underwater treadmill because it's so functional, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, what are you doing? You're walking, you know, swimming isn't necessarily a functional exercise. That's nothing you have to do on a daily basis, uh, unless you're a working breed that is doing, or a Newfoundland pulling in, you know, it's, weights exactly. or, you know, whatever, but, yeah. but, you know, so for our neuro dogs, especially, I, I found that the, the underwater treadmill was great in doing gait training and mm -hmm. neuro, neuromuscular reeducation and, and, you know, waking up those, those circuits and getting them fired firing it again. Uh, so very, very functional being partial weight bearing. Right. And then sometimes you can, I can, you can mix it up. Um, what I was going to say before I wanted to talk about mixing it up is that, you, you know, with owners having a preconceived notion and I, I, I don't want owners to come into and look at their time. Last time we did, you know, one mile an hour for 10 minutes. And today we did, you know, nine minutes or the next time we did 11. It's really not about, you know, watching your dog's time and it's it's really about getting or targeting that that tissue targeting the muscle i want targeting what i want the dog to do and so whether your dog went 0.9 miles per hour or 1.0 miles per hour you know between doesn't necessarily mean that they're done bad right it, it so i i really don't want them to go with a preconceived notion but also you can up that game you know sometimes i'll put floaties on a limb I'll put a floaty mm. on a limb that I'm mm. trying to work and then they have to push it through the water harder. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many things that can be done to, to enhance that activity. Um, or there's so many things that could be done for dogs that can't. So maybe your dog is just coming back out of surgery from, you know, discarniation and they, uh, they're learning to stand and walk again. Sometimes I just get the, those animals in the treadmill and, and stand them. And with that hydrostatic pressure of the water, working on balance, working on balance. Right. Yeah. So that's just, Honestly, my favorite piece of equipment. <laughs> I, love I it wanted so much. to to compare um, a couple of things in terms of swimming versus underwater treadmill. One is that swimming generally promotes flexion or the bending of limbs. So when we're trying to gain, you know, the ability to bend the knee, maybe after a cruciate uh, surgery repair, it, whereas underwater treadmill, you're promoting extension of the limb. Right. So, so Kathy, one thing that I wanted to do is uh, compare some of the joint benefits with swimming versus 
underwater treadmill. So we know that swimming promotes flexion or bending of the limbs. And so I have found it to be really effective for elbow dysplasia and treatment of elbow dysplasia because, again, you have that complete buoyancy and they're paddling and those elbows are bending for terrific active range of motion and and, uh, calling in the muscles that that help to support that joint and so forth. Whereas, like the underwater treadmill, oftentimes after, for example, a cranial cruciate ligament repair. They maybe have lost some extension or straightening of that knee. And so I'll use the, the underwater treadmill. So they're trying to find the floor, right? They're, they're, they're maybe stuck with some scar tissue, they're healing, and they don't have that full straightening yet. And, but they're, they're reaching, the pet is reaching to find that floor. Plus the action of the underwater treadmill as it's, it's moving back, right? Typically in a normal fashion, you know, it's moving backwards from the head of the dog to the rear of the dog. So they get a little bit of a ride back there and that helps to open up like the hip joints and extend Mm. the spine, right? So those dogs with, with hip dysplasia, um, that's really, really nice that they get that kind of active assistive, yeah, active assistive range of motion as we say. And you know, you know, the, um, and just the feet touching the treadmill, because we've talked about this in other, other episodes about this proprioception, about how much information they get from their feet. So in swimming, it's a non-impact exercise, right? You're not. They get no feedback from their feet. You get no feedback from your feet. But in the treadmill, you're getting a ton of feedback from, mm-hmm. from your feet and the treadmill and where your feet are placed and how fast you're going. And you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just a lot of feedback there. And with those neuro dogs, they can keep up. Because, you know, oftentimes if you have like a paraplegic, paraparetic dog, you know, their front feet are going 100 miles an hour and their back feet cannot keep up on land. But when it's slowed down, then their back feet can keep up better with their front feet. And um, Or you can pattern them. You can, I'll get in there and actually pattern them with my, I'll take my hands and just walk with them and move Mm -hmm. their feet as they're going so you can pattern them. So um, benefits to both and, and certainly not the same. <laughs> right. And, and one other thing regarding range of motion with the underwater treadmill is the height of the water can impact what joint is bending most. So the general rule of thumb is if you raise the water to the height of the elbow, for example, because you want to promote elbow range of motion, the dog will tend to bend that joint more, get it out of the water and take a a bigger stride. So they're getting a fuller, more active motion at that elbow joint at the level. If it's the ankle, you would feel the the water to the ankle joint and they'll typically step out of the water, bending more dorsiflexion, right? To, To promote more motion there. So we can, that's another variable that we can adjust to promote range of motion. Right, right. I love that. I love underwater treadmill. What else can we talk about? This has been just so exciting. I mean, again, there's still like, like we talked about with the swimming, there's some contraindications to underwater treadmill. And this is again, where you put in your, your therapists and your, your veterinarians, because we're not going to want to do things again that have uh, dogs that have open wounds or sores or fractures, unstable fractures, things like that. So there's always a, you know, usually a contraindication to almost everything. So um, beforehand, that's when we're going to, that's when we're going to develop the plan. We're going to incorporate the veterinarian. You're going to incorporate Chris or I, you know, your CCRPs or your, your, your rehab therapist into what a customized plan for each individual dog. So there's no cookie cutter thing uh, for dogs in my mind. Like I don't rehab all of my TPLOs the same way. I'm going to tailor it to the individual. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that'll include treadmill and swimming. Depends on the dog. But but let's talk about the, uh, those people out there that have an ostensibly healthy dog and they want to use yeah. swimming, again, for recreation, fun, conditioning, right. you know, it has just so many benefits for the healthy dog um, right. in terms of wellness, prevention of injury and things too. Mm-hmm. So Kathy, what are some of the challenges that that someone outdoors may may have swimming their dog, whether it's a lake, river, ocean, oh, what, what do they need to, to well, pay attention know, to? I think that's... You know, for, for people who have dogs who are young, healthy, and maybe even maybe exuberant swimmers, I think that, you know, we covered this in another episode about warming your dog up. Like, I don't, I don't want you to just go and get to the beach and then just chuck that ball out into the water. I'd like to see these dogs do a little bit of a warm-up before they get there, because warm-up before that, because it is a strenuous exercise. And we talked about it, a whole episode about mm-hmm. how much work it is to swim. So if we could do a little warm-up prior to, to that swimming, so, you know, we could either mimic what you're asking the dog to do. So maybe we go out and we wade in the water and we wade back onto the, we walk back out onto the land and wade in, wade out. Maybe do some small circles before we start chucking the ball. So I think warm up is important for these dogs, especially if they're exuberant swimmers, right? Do a little bit of warm up to get them ready for that activity. Yeah, and then I think there are unique things uh, related to outdoor swimming. Um, some are very obvious, like you have to watch out for currents. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Riptides, things Snap like that. Snap turtles, snapping turtles. Snapping turtles, <laughs> absolutely, and other, you know, critters yeah. that are in the in the water. And I think we think about, you know, things damaging our pets, but our pets also mm-hmm. damage the outdoors. So, you know, being aware of the ecosystem, not having your pet trample through the, the sea oats that they're trying to, you know, and, and the bird yeah. sanctuary where they're nesting and, right. and, you know, different things like that. So it does have an impact on the environment. We talked a little bit earlier about temperature and, you know, making sure that your pet can tolerate whatever temperature water you're having them swim in and being aware of that. Um, you know, if you have other dogs, potentially, um, people, children around, um, you know, and, and considering those factors. Yeah. And then what you talked about before, having control over your pet, because we don't want them to swim out endlessly into the, you know, middle of the pond. You need to have some control here, either with your leash or being in there with them or whatever have you got to have the, got to be able to get control of your dog. I I have a little story, Uh, a young golden retriever that owner took, had been taking the older golden retriever to this area for many, many years. And unfortunately that dog uh, passed. And, and so he gets the, the young buck and he takes mm-hmm. him and it's on the Charles river. So it's out here in Boston. It's a big river. And uh, they go down and, and like I said earlier, this dog saw a goose. I think it was a goose or a swan. Maybe been a That's swan. It. Actually. And he, he starts, you know, trying to call the dog mm-hmm. back and the dog's not coming, not coming. It, and it's just going, this mm-hmm. man, had to get in his car and dr- drive down to the next pullout area along the river to try to retrieve his dog because it, I mean it was out of sight. He could he yep. couldn't it wasn't coming back. Terrifying. Terrifying. No. Totally. Totally. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that's why you gotta have control. You gotta have control. <laughs> hey, Kathy, do you know what uh, beach diarrhea is? Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good that you it don't. It doesn't sound good. I'm going to say it's bad. It's very bad. Um, I imagine yeah. it's probably from something that your dog has ingested at the beach, but do tell. I've not heard of well, this. Well, I think it's a combination of uh, ingesting, as you said, sand and salt water and so vomiting and or 
diarrhea is not an mm-hmm. uncommon thing, especially if the dog is, you know, it's a ball, like let's say a tennis ball or something, it's rolling in the sand. Every time they pick up that ball, they're getting sand in their so gut. Gross. And yeah, yeah, it is gross. And, uh, but yeah, so we want to avoid beach <laughs> diarrhea. There's also things, you know, there's other uh, parasites and, you know, like mm-hmm. Giardia, uh, oh, yeah. other, other animals going to the bathroom in the water and, and causing uh, intestinal disorders as our pets ingest. So, you know, at least one of the things that when you bring them to a facility with a, a pool or underwater treadmill, we, we use chemicals and other means to, to keep the water clean. I don't know. What did you use, Kathy, at, at Windhover or at uh, Sterling, I should I, say? I think that, uh, Oh, it's been a while now. I want to say we probably use typical uh, pool chemicals like your your chlorine and stuff chlorine. like that. I know that they that most recently in some of these practices you're seeing salt mm-hmm. um, rather more than natural. chlorine, more yep. natural. Um, in any case, so you know it's 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 a good idea to rinse these dogs off from these. You know, once you get out of the pool or the underwater treadmill, I think you know it's a good idea to rinse yeah. them off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and most of the time, I would say because we tried to keep our chemicals. Uh, the minimal that they needed to be to yeah. still be effective. Yeah. And we switched from chlorine to bromine because we found that it was a little less uh, harsh. Uh, didn't smell so much. You think about how, yeah. um, you know, that's another weird thing too, right? You bring the dog For into dogs. a fa- yeah. facility to swim. And not only is this thing indoors, but, uh, yeah. and ours was, ri- you know, raised above the ground. It wasn't an in-ground pool. So they have to climb up to the pool only to go back down in it. And then it smells funny. And if, <laughs> and if we can smell it, you know, you think about then how they can really, Smell they it. can really smell it. So they're like, what on earth are you putting me into here? Um, but we, we use an ozonator as well, um, which uses ozone to help to clean uh, the water. Um, that go, yeah. And then you didn't need to use as, as much chemical. You know what we missed? And what? I'll just, that we talked about, you know, dogs swimming and using the underwater treadmill. And I kind of alluded to the fact earlier in the conversation that we can use it for cats as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it can be done. It can be done. I've used the underwater treadmill for cats as well as swimming for cats. I mean, I think it takes a special cat, but um, all of these same principles that we're talking about apply to other animals as well, right? So you can use the underwater treadmill for cats. You're just going to have to acclimate them to it, you know, in a positive way. Um, I used it for a cat many, many years ago for a cat that was diabetic and the owner was very, um, very active, proactive in trying to get this dog's, this cat's um, diabetes under control. So she added, you know, she did the diet change and she added exercise and Mm -hmm. swimming. So the cat would come and swim twice a week. She was really good at it and her weight got down and her her diabetes was managed, right? Because she was, her mom was very committed to it. Um, And she swam, no problem. Yep. yep. <laughs> no I, I must say I've, I've walked more cats in the underwater treadmill than I have swum cats. I did swim a Maine Coon and they're mm-hmm. known to be quite dog-like mm-hmm. um, in our pool and her name was Callie and she was fairly old. I'd say around 13 at the time, um, but she did not have a good leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a horrible hip dysplasia, both patellas were luxated, and horrible elbow dysplasia. And so it was all she could do to negotiate her environment and get to her food and water and litter box and and that sort of thing. And and I suggested the swimming. The owners were reticent. Um, But I think we all got tears in our eyes when I had to kind of makeshift a a life vest to to fit her because I, I didn't want her right. j- just going in there. Right. Um, and uh, she just, as soon as she hit that water, all those legs started moving and just so good. 
felt good and she got great again active range of motion and stretching and flexibility and she had some issues with uh, constipation as well. And every time she got out of the pool, she did a good poop. So every, every, it was, it was great therapy on win, win. all, exactly, win, win. On all <laughs> levels. And for you pet owners out there that have animals with diarrhea or constipation, you know that that's a big, big deal. It's a big deal because it's all about pooping. It's all about the yeah. poop and what the poop is like. Oh, Chris, I think we covered just about everything. Is there anything that we missed that you'd like to like to talk to owners about? Well, it stands to reason, but one of the other dangers of swimming outside um, is the the hidden things that are under the water. So I always encourage people to go out and kind of check out the area, yeah. um, make sure there's not fishing line, wire, um, you know, things that your dog could, could kick or get caught in, you know, mm -hmm. a, a submerged log or, you know, something yeah. like that. Um, glass. You know, glass yeah. is a, a big thing. And also, I think that getting in and out of the water is the most dangerous part of the part, whole event. Part of yeah. the whole shenanigans, yeah. yes. So I, I recommend that people find a, a beach if they can where they can just gradually walk in. And it's, it's not just like, the, again, this sudden drop off so that they can get out again and, and so forth. But try to keep your pet in the water once they're in because it's, it's the getting in and out. It's that change of density from air to water, um, mm -hmm. the bounding in, the, the, you know, the hitting of the water, like the belly flop you know, kind yeah. of thing. Um, and that's where they could, you know, catch a toenail or, you know, get caught. If they're out there in the deeper water, then, then they're generally a bit safer. So some of these dogs can, you know, from hitting the water so hard can subluxate their tail. You want to talk a little bit about ah the, the swimmer's exactly, tail, right? Yeah. If you hit it really hard, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you can subluxate that tail. It's really painful too. And I, exactly, and I think it is worth mentioning, Kathy, thank you for bringing that up, mm -hmm. because I've had a lot of people that have described something that's happened, and they had no clue what it was. So if yeah. you kind of know that this is a possibility, then maybe it's not as alarming, you know, knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as Kathy was saying, it's, the, the tail is actually an extension of your spine. So it's the coccyx, all the little coccygeal vertebrae, and there can be up to, I think, about 21. And so things that, that, uh, make it more likely to happen are if it's really cold water because things are stiff. So it's not going to mm -hmm. be, it's not going to move as readily and the tail is, you know, it's kind of stuck out there as an appendage. So sometimes they call it cold tail. Um, like you said, it, it impacts the water and can, you know, get slammed by the water surface and, and cause it to, to go off a little bit. But um, also the dog that swims very aggressively with their tail you know uses yeah. they use it as, as a rudder, a rudder. Yep. and so when they're doing a lot of turning and things and that tail is just moving 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 through that water with that resistance it can you know get a little bit out of whack the other name i've heard for it is limp tail because when it happens literally their tail just hangs down right and it's and painful if you try to lift so it pain hurts yeah it yeah. hurts and, and <laughs> it hurts so yeah the dog thing. doesn't want to walk they're just lying there the tail's hanging down you don't know what happened but yeah look for that limp tail and usually it resolves itself right Kathy um, typically it does um, if it doesn't you know that's certainly the time to, to go to your veterinarian and talk about other treatment options but um, but typically I see them resolve around. yeah and I think usually within about 24 to 48 hours it'll it'll start getting dramatically better but like Kathy mm -hmm. They said if it doesn't sometimes they'll have to go in there and manipulate it a little bit but leave yeah. that to an expert yeah. don't try to yeah. do that don't do that yeah. on your own <laughs> no <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Does that pretty much cover everything that? Yes. I think okay. that we covered everything we wanted to talk about. I want everybody to just keep swimming, swimming, just keep swimming and keep joining us because we have another awesome show coming up in two weeks. So make sure you come back in two weeks. Okay. All right. Adios, Dory. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to EnableYourPet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.